Uh, well, once again, uh, you have seen me take my shoes off as a reminder to myself um, and to others of the story in Moses, <clears throat> or the story in the Bible where Moses uh, approaches the burning bush and God says, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. So it's a reminder to me of the holy ground that we're on. Thank you again to all of those who have helped to contribute to our worship service. I'm so grateful for all of your help and your work and so appreciative of all of the ways that we've been able to offer, uh, offer these services to one another. So as we continue in our series, Rhythms of the Heart, we're looking at connection this morning. Um, but we're looking at the ways that maybe uh, our rhythms might have been out of sync or we've been looking for new rhythms or, or new ways of being. How do we reconnect with God's rhythms? So we've looked at rest and healing. Today we're looking at connection and we'll close next week looking at creation. So would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when I have, uh, I've led mission trips for, um, gosh, for many years now, I think I've lost track of how many of there have been. Um, but one of the things that I, uh, I started doing towards uh, some of the more recent trips that I've taken is taking a personality survey so that everyone in the, on the team would take this survey. Um, and there were a lot of reasons to do that, uh, but one of them was to just help to think about what conflicts might arise and, and to know about ourselves enough to know what we might need and, and how that might affect other people as well. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I thought was really important that we knew um, was who the introverts were and who the extroverts are um, on the team. And maybe you know what you are. You know if you're an introvert or an extrovert. An introvert is someone who tends to get drained by people, that being around people is just not life-giving. Um, extroverts tend to be people who, uh, who need to be around people, that it's life-giving to be around people. Um, there's... Uh, it's not necessarily about shyness or about how much one talks or doesn't talk. Um, it's about how the energy that you get from people. Um, and so um, it was helpful. It's always helpful to find that out, especially on mission trips, because when you're out of your normal rhythms and routines, or maybe it's been an intentional move or shift like a mission trip that you're not comfortable, um, you the small things can tend to balloon into something bigger just because you're already uncomfortable. And so you add something on top of that, it seems like it's much bigger than it actually is. And maybe you found that over the course of these last few weeks as you've been sheltering in place that um, you probably, you may have been uncomfortable. And sometimes those things that you think, gosh, why does this bother me so much? Because we're already uncomfortable. And so something big just balloons into something more. So um, on mission trips, I always found that this was helpful to talk about how to relate to people. And I often would tell this story, and I think I've told it here too, but um, my friend Chad and I, um, when we would go on road trips together, uh, we were in a covenant group together, and so we would travel to our Sabbath retreats together. Um, and when we would be in a car trip and we would be driving, when I was driving, 
I'm an extrovert. Um, and when I was driving, I would always make him entertain me the whole time. Like, tell me stories, tell me jokes. We're gonna have a conversation. We're gonna debate, entertain me. And if it got too quiet in the car, um, I would just kind of yell out loud, entertain me. I'm a fun car trip person. Um, so when it became Chad's turn to drive, I often just, I was asleep. Like I just fell asleep. And I remember one time I woke up um, after realizing that I'd been asleep and I went, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Like I make you entertain me the whole time and then I just fall asleep on you. Um, and he goes, no, no, it's fine. Go back to sleep. Because Chad is an introvert and needed more of that quiet time. So I tried to learn how to balance it a little bit. But, um, you know, with relationships and with people, it's certainly more complicated than who's an introvert and an extrovert. And there's even levels of introversion, extroversion that is not necessary for us to talk about because as people, we're complicated and we're complex. Um, I mean, most human beings are, and there's more to our story than just a simple label like introvert or extrovert. And also, it does help for us to be able to, to talk about who we are and what we know that we need um, as long with what others need. Now, as human beings, um, on any level, we need connection. We crave connection, we crave community. And some of course do that more than others. So maybe during our time of sheltering or distancing, it's been really easy for you. Um, I, I talked with, um, with someone uh, as we were, uh, as we've been calling around, I talked with someone who said that they just didn't realize how much they really liked being alone and this didn't bother them at all. And then I talked to someone else who said that they didn't realize how much they didn't like being alone and that they really craved being around people and talking to people and, and coming to church and, and this was just not comfortable and not easy. Maybe you're there in either place or maybe you're in a whole different place. Maybe it's just been awkward or, or maybe you're just looking for something or Maybe you're satisfied, but regardless, as humans, we crave connection. We need connection to others. Maybe for you, it's been through phone calls or text messages um, or Facebook messages or letters or cards or emails, but we crave connecting with one another. We need it. It says in the scriptures, it's not good for one to be alone. So, Let's take that and let's look at our scripture passage for this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's probably a really familiar story. If you have been, if you've been in church for really any amount of time, you have probably heard this story a few times. And even if you haven't, maybe you've never been in church or you haven't been in church for a very long time. Um, you've probably heard this story even in culture um, because the spirit of the story uh, is something that's, that just permeates everywhere. Um, the Good Samaritan. I mean, that's something that we see on hospitals or, or we hear it. We have Good Samaritan laws. Um, so maybe you've heard even Good Samaritan but didn't know where it came from. So, um, if you were, maybe even as you were thinking or hearing the scripture, maybe you thought, gosh, I've heard a sermon on this before and, and here's what I would preach. 
um, or I didn't notice that, that part of the story. Um, so let's take a look at it a little bit, familiarness and all. Um, so the story is sparked by a question. Um, and that's usually how Jesus answers questions. Uh, he usually answers questions by, let me tell you a story. Uh, in fact, that's really, um, that's really how most rabbis teach and, and share as well. Um, I remember I was sitting on a panel discussion with a rabbi and myself as the Protestant clergy and a Roman Catholic clergy, and someone asked you know, about uh, forgiveness. And um, the rabbi said, uh, let me tell you a story. And I went, oh, yes. Um, because there's just something about a story. And, and at the end of the story, usually what happens is the person comes up with the answer. Perhaps the story is more directed to, to lead you to the response or to the answer. Um, but usually you have your response or your answer to the question at the end of the story. So the question that this lawyer asks Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this wasn't, uh, I think we often think about this in terms of afterlife, but that really wasn't the focus of this question. It was, how do I live life fully? Um, and so Jesus's response to that is to answer the question with a question. So Jesus says, what does the law say? which is really smart because he doesn't answer. He makes the lawyer answer on his own. Um, and so the response that, that is given is to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, that's not really, it's not really controversial to say that. So what Jesus says is good, now go and do it. And so then that brings about the second question. And the second question is, okay, then who is my neighbor? And I think this is probably the question that, that he wanted to ask all along, or maybe just wanted to prove a point with this question. Um, because the way that Jesus answered the first question wasn't really controversial. Um, it wasn't surprising. It wasn't, it was sort of like, yeah, of course, there's nothing really surprising about that. Um, and it was probably what the lawyer expected to hear. I mean, in fact, he answered the question himself, but he wanted to go further with Jesus and perhaps Part of what he's saying in this, who is my neighbor is, I think I have an idea who you're gonna tell me who my neighbor is, and I don't think we agree. So how Jesus responds is, of course, let me tell you a story. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and gets beaten and robbed and left for dead. No, not dead, half dead. And a Levite walks past. Now, the Levite is a part of a priestly tradition, um, so uh, someone who is very connected within the, the temple, within the religious practices, the Levite walks past. And then a priest comes by and walks by on the other side of the road. Now, side note, this is a little bit of a joke um, because the road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho, um, it was very small and it, uh, it was on like a cliff. So um, there would be like the side of the wall of the, the rock or the cliff on this side. And then on the other side was the edge of the cliff. So really when you're, um, when you're on this road, you're either, and you have this half dead person laying in the road, you're either like smushed up against the wall, like the Levite was, <clears throat> 
where the joke as the priest is to go on the other side meant that basically they're walking and falling off of the cliff. There's really virtually no way to do this without being clear that you are very much trying to avoid someone who is in the middle of the road. So Levite smashes and the priest like risks his life to avoid. Um, so these two that you would expect to stop um, don't. And so then there's a third one. And probably if it were me who was listening to this story, um, I would think the, that Jesus is going to say, and now the lawyer walks by and does the right thing. Um, but instead, what Jesus says is, a Samaritan comes by. And not only does the Samaritan stop and take care of this half-dead person, but also takes them to a, a hotel to continue to be taken care of. So some of the implications in this story. Now, one of the laws that we'll find in the Old Testament is that if you touch something that's dead or half-dead, like the person who had been beaten and robbed, you were then declared to be unclean. So for the Levite and the priest, um, perhaps some of the ways that they rationalized why they didn't help this person was because if they did, then they couldn't do their job because they're unclean. All right, you can rationalize that, but isn't our job to care for those who are hurting and for those in need? And for the Samaritan who is there, there were laws against Samaritans and Jewish people talking and eating and touching. You don't do those things. So the unexpected person not only takes care of this victim, but goes above and beyond what's expected. So Jesus finishes this story and says, so which do you think is the neighbor? Now, having heard this story a bajillion times, we know, and of course, hearing this story, you know what the answer is supposed to be. I do sometimes wonder if the lawyer had said, oh, I think it was the priest. Um, if Jesus would have been like, all right, let me tell you this story again. Um, or, or what Jesus' response would have been. But we know who the answer is, right? We know it's the Samaritan. We title this story, The Good Samaritan. Um, but... The lawyer who asked this question, when Jesus asks, who is the neighbor, he can't even bring himself to say the name. He can't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. Instead, what he says is the one who showed mercy. He can't even say the name. There's so much hatred and prejudiced against this person, this Samaritan, that they can't even acknowledge when they've done something right. And Jesus' response is, you know who has done the right thing. Go and do likewise. Who is your neighbor? The one who shows mercy. Go and do likewise. I think that we often wonder who our neighbor is. And sometimes we justify who our neighbor is by who lives next door to us or who lives on our block or who lives in our community. And yet it's also much bigger than that. Our neighbor is the one who shows mercy. Well, 
we should show mercy. Who is our neighbor? Our fellow humans are our neighbors. Go and do likewise. A few years ago, I, um, I was asked by a friend of mine who is a college chaplain uh, if I would lead a Bible study on campus. Um, and, and when she asked me, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, and as I was driving down the first session, I thought, why did I think this was a great idea? Um, I was in the middle of a really busy season. I had I, I could just, I could tell you all of the list of things I had to do, and and this Bible study that I was leading was an hour and a half away, um, so I had to drive an hour and a half there every week, and as I would be in the car thinking about this Bible study and and whatnot, I just thought, why why did I say yes? Um, but even the very first day, the very first time, um, as I was driving down there, I, I was like, okay, this could be okay, um, and I. Um, uh, I was told by um, the chaplain that I'd be co-leading with one of the students there, um, with someone named Amy. Um, and so that first session we never met, um, and I thought, you know, this will be this will be fun. We can we can figure out how to do this together. Um, and I met Amy, and uh, and she was a little socially awkward, and um, and then she said, "Well, what are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm here to lead with you." And I realized that the chaplain hadn't ever told her that she was not in charge, that we were leading this together. Um, and so it was a little awkward and, and it sort of set us up in a, in a tough situation. Um, so she thought she was doing this Bible study on her own and here I am coming thinking I'm there to assist. So we had a little trouble finding our rhythms together. Um, and at the, on the fourth week, of this Bible study, um, I just I drove down and I was in such a, I was just in a horrible mood. I was just, it was just, I was tired. I was worn out. I think something had happened. And so I was just in a bad mood. And I just thought, why am I even going here when I, the person who I'm supposed to be leading with doesn't want me there? And so I was just annoyed the whole drive. You know what that's like. Um, and then uh, I got there and the only person who showed up that night was Amy. And so I was even more annoyed. And then I thought, gosh, do we even continue with the Bible study? But as we sat there in the awkward silence, I noticed that, that Amy was a little bit more quiet and in an unusual quiet. And so I said, well, um, how is it with your soul? And she took a breath and then she just unloaded and talked about how she was overwhelmed with finals and she was afraid she was failing a class and how much homework she had to do and to catch up on. And that the job that she'd been working had been working her extra hours, which was great because she really needed the money to pay for classes, but it meant that she had no time to do her homework. And her family wasn't supportive of her being in college at all and didn't want her there. And so they were making things really difficult for her and, and she just didn't have many friends. And, and then she just started to cry. And I thought, oh, how do you continue with Bible study now? And so I said, well, how can I best minister to you right now? And she wiped away her tears and she looked at me and she said, would you play Scrabble with me? And so we played Scrabble and we talked about her life and, and her prayer concerns. And that's what we did that night. And it was holy because people are important 
And everyone needs to hear that and be shown that. Our humanity is wrapped up in one another. We belong to each other. We are people who are different. And we don't have to pretend like those differences don't exist, but we don't have to let them define us or divide us. We can have compassion for each other. We all have the capacity to make the world better, to care for one another better, to respect one, another, one another's dignities better. Honoring our differences not as something that can divide us, but as something that makes us better together. We'll have different ways of relating to each other in this new way of, of doing life. And just because the method is different, it doesn't mean that the heart behind it is. It's not too late for us to learn different ways of communicating and connecting. You've learned that already. And it's not too late for us also to unlearn some of the harmful things that we've been taught about each other. The lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan's name. We need to be able to see through our own prejudices, our own biases, and even our own racism to connect with one another. And it's not too late to learn new rhythms of connecting with each other. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Sometimes you don't always get the choice of who to be in relationship with, but it doesn't make your choice to love any less. If we love God, how can we not love our neighbor, our neighbor who is created in the image of God? That means how we talk about one another matters. Our words matter because our words reflect how we treat one another. Say their name, the Samaritan. Our love leads to actions. How we care for one another, making sure that everyone is treated with dignity and respect, making sure that everyone has access to what will make them flourish in life not insisting on our own way, but what's best for someone else. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Connection is a part of the rhythm of our heart. May we find those new rhythms to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Amen.